32 years ago, McDonald's opened a restaurant in Moscow. Huge long lines, and it was a sign of, of Russia coming to the West, the end of the old Soviet empire. But today, the American fast food giant has pulled out of Russia entirely. They're closing 847 McDonald's stores in Russia. McDonald's, Starbucks, and Coca-Cola also recently suspending business in Russia. And McDonald's isn't the only one. So many other companies are leaving Russia. Beer giant Heineken is the latest major company to halt operations in Russia. Renault said that it was suspending all manufacturing in Russia until further notice. But Russia accounts for about 8% of its overall earnings, and Renault employs some 45,000 local staff there. And more and more U.S. companies, this entire list, and this list is growing by the day, are pulling their business from Russia. The sanctions imposed by the West are definitely taking effect and the Russian economy is drastically changing. What it means for Russians is that everything they have to buy from outside of the country, goods that, let's say, cost 100 rubles just a month ago are now gonna cost 200 rubles. In other words, you've got 100% inflation in just a matter of a couple weeks. It's long lines for the ATMs, capital controls on their money. This after President Biden announced a ban on US imports of Russian oil. But are these changes what the West was hoping for? Well, the ruble took a massive hit when Russia invaded Ukraine, but now the currency appears to be bouncing back. See, it's very difficult to imagine that Europe could cut off all of the energy it takes from Russia without entering into stagflation or, or recession. There's a huge amount of German industry very reliant on Russian energy. And of course, Germany is one of the biggest economies in the world. In our last episode, we talked about what sanctions are and Professor Seth Benzel's work around studying their effects. In this episode, we're going to hear the professor's thoughts about where policymakers might want to spend more time. Tune in to learn about which Moscow factory that used to employ 10,000 people is being sold to the Russian government for one ruble. If you had known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed. We're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. Um, could you walk us through, like, you know, lastly, what can what can we do better? Um, in in the guise of sanctions uh, to get to that effect that we're actually trying to achieve. Yeah, so sure. So I would say uh, that there's sort of three things that we sort of be should be more focused on and sort of two things that I think have grabbed international attention that maybe we should be less focused on. And I'm not saying that those last two things maybe wouldn't hurt Russia, but I think we need to acknowledge that we're sort of in an international conflict, which is a kind of a limited war. I mean, the West has not fully mobilized its reserve, you know, its, itself into a war economy. Russia has not fully mobilized itself into a war economy. It's important to remember that Ukraine has, like for Ukraine, this is an existential fight. Uh, but the rest of the world is treating this as a limited conflict. And in a limited conflict, you don't do, it's not a z- pure zero sum game where you do anything that hurts the other guy more than you. You kind of target, okay, where can I inflict the most pain on my enemy at the least damage to me, right? And you might even be willing to accept deals that lead your and your enemy better off, right? At least in principle, if it's a non-zero-sum game. Okay, so what are the things that I think we could be doing harder? So number one, 
really applying pressure on these third party countries that seem to be using being used as sort of uh, shell corporations to import uh, technologies that Russia is officially blocked from. I know there's work along these lines, but I think that that's the most, most important thing is looking into countries like Kazakhstan um, and other, I believe uh, there's some other countries that are used, but Kazakhstan, I think is the main one and making sure whatever we can, that secondary sanctions are getting applied to make sure that you know the Russians aren't getting chips for Pytech missiles, right? That's the number one thing. Then I would say that, um, uh, if you look at foreign companies, uh, their sort of exposure to businesses in Russia, uh, by my calculations based on the World Bank, there's over 700 billion U.S. dollars worth of foreign investments in Russian capital. And what we see is a lot of companies sort of getting out of Russia in the sense of we don't want to make new investments in Russia. So after 2014, there were some really powerful sanctions on new investments in the oil and gas industry that were important. Um, but now those are sort of really more broadly businesses of all sorts don't want to continue operating in Russia, maybe with the exception of uh, businesses that are involved in some like very basic stuff. Uh, so I understand like Pepsi is continuing with its sort of like uh, its companies that release milk and sort of other basic foods. Um, but uh, just, you know, to focus on these two examples of like Renault and McDonald's, um, I think what we're seeing is these companies basically taking their productive assets, which are owned by foreigners, and handing them over to Russia to continue operating, right? In the case of the Renault factory, uh, we're talking about this giant factory that employs 10,000 people that I kid you not was sold to the Moscow government for one ruble. Uh, why is that? Well, you know, if somebody's got a gun to your head and says, sell, sell me the thing <laughs> for one ruble, I guess you do what you have to, right? So you're seeing basically the stuff being seized or it being sold at fire sale prices. Um, if you look at the Ikea factory, so they've continued paying their workers but they've shut down the factory i think that's a little bit better I hope they have the instructions <laughs> <laughs> they took away all the little wrenches so you can't operate yeah, the damn, factory anymore. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the idea i think would be a really powerful way to harm the russian economy would be to not let the russian economy get access to this equipment again right so that could mean repatriating it to the west that could mean just leaving it shut down, you know, leave a padlock on the gates. Putin has threatened to seize stuff that gets padlocked like that. But if it comes to it, if, you know, if you padlock the gate and then, you know, the Russian police show up and say, open up, we want to keep making cars here. I think ultimately we should talk about, you know, sabotaging this equipment so that the Russian state doesn't have access to it. I mean, it's foreign owned stuff. The foreigners have the plans. They're paying the security guards. Uh, I don't see why this isn't more of a conversation, given that it would have a much, much more severe impact on the Russian economy than a lot of the other things that are getting discussed. We think it might matter, you know, to the extent of 20 percent of GDP in the short term, if uh, if all of these uh, foreign capital could be destroyed or in other ways made unavailable to the Russian economy. Um, and, you know, you might imagine um, the U.S. government doing sorts of tax breaks uh, for companies that lose access to Russian capital by, you know, shutting it down in either of these ways. Um, a third way that I think we can really harm the Russian economy in the medium and long run is by going after their human capital. 
And to the extent that we can offer visas to, you know, you know, uh, people with math PhDs from, you know, Moscow State University, that really seems like a win-win for America and Ukraine and a lose for Russia. Um, so I think those are the three things I would focus much more on. And I want to point out, like, it's really, really hard to get a visa uh, to come to America as a Russian right now. So that that's like a, a definite policy change that could be made. And that's actually kind of related to kind of two things that I think we're going too hard on, which are going after uh, oligarchs assets and going after uh, the trade in gas in particular. So in terms of going off, going after oligarch assets, we talked about why that might not be such a good idea. Kind of in the long run, we want the oligarchs to be moving their money into the West rather than reinvesting it domestically. So to the extent that you go after that, maybe that's counterproductive. You might also think that uh, that has sort of a general chilling effect on Russians being able to move abroad. So that would also run capital counter to that human capital story I just told. And then the second thing that I think is sort of overemphasized as a way to hurt Russia is uh, shutting down gas sales. So like oil sales, uh, I think that's going to happen. Um, you know, obviously, Hungary has been objecting to uh, the EU doing that. But I think that kind of is less important. Uh, there's more of a, a global market for oil. You put that stuff on containers, it can end up anywhere. Gas is a lot harder to redirect. So that's, I think, the much more significant decision. Um, because if hypothetically the trade in gas were to be shut down between uh, the EU and Russia, that would take, you know, years for those pipelines to be rebuilt, you know, LNG terminals to be built, et cetera. And uh, why do I say that uh, the West shouldn't focus on shutting that down? Well, uh, so calculations have come out suggesting that the shock to the German economy would be in the range of about 2% of GDP. And so Germany is maybe the economy that's sort of the most dependent on Russian gas, but there are other countries that also have dependence on Russian gas. If you compare that to the importance of gas to the Russian economy, um, I like rather than comparing the quantities involved to the total you know, size of the gas and the oil industry in Russia, I like to focus on the oil and gas rents, right, which is the basically the profits to so subtract off the inputs that you need to put in in order to make the oil and the gas because the argument is is that if that trade got shut down those inputs could be reallocated to some other part of the economy so you should really just focus on the profits and in 2020 the the year the last the last year that data was available uh gas represented uh less than three percent uh gas rents represented less than 3% of Russian GDP. Now, obviously, it's going to be a, a lot higher right now because uh, energy prices are so high, but maybe even double that to 6% of GDP. And so now you're comparing just damage to Germany alone of 2% of GDP compared to maybe going after, you know, about 6% of Russian GDP. And you have to remember, Germans, Germany's GDP is like three times the size of Russia, right? So just talking about the effect on Germany alone we're kind of talking about like an even trade in terms of GDP hits to the two countries in the short run. We're talking about like a year or two. And so I just think there are kind of more effective and then you have to worry about the effects on the rest of Europe. So um, I think if we want to think about harming Russia in a way that's kind of cost effective, that isn't the first place I'd look. Now, obviously, in the long term, Russia, you know, Europe should be moving towards 
alternative sources of energy, but that's a longer term uh, correction uh, that they should be moving towards. Okay, so to sum up the professor's thoughts, there could be more effective ways of doing harm to the Russian economy. First up, we have to apply more pressure to these third-party countries that are being used to import technologies that are banned for Russia. That includes technologies like semiconductor chips. That is an important input to weapons used for war. Second, for companies that are divesting from Russia, like McDonald's and Renault, cut access to the productive assets rather than selling them for fire sale prices. Lastly, maybe it's a good idea to make it easier for Russian scholars to come to America, which would really, really target human capital. Although it is no doubt a complex situation, we can at least use these thoughts to understand how impactful sanctions are to an economy and why some sanctions don't necessarily always achieve their original goals. Thanks again for listening to Things Have Changed podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to us getting out of our comfort zone and covering a more touchy topic. Episodes like these can help us learn more about how these economic weapons can shape the role of the digital economy. That's why it's important to study these. And as always, at Things Have Changed podcast, stay curious.